Anyway, so we're going to look at the book of Acts, and I'm going to talk to you just a little bit about a vision, Acts chapter 10. And we're going to look there, and we're going to talk about Peter's vision, talk a few things about how that came about. And I'll just start reading in verse 1. And, um, and let me read something to you. I want to start out by reading something to you that I thought was interesting. Um, this is from Rick Rayner's um, Sparkling Gems from the Greek, and I thought it was a really good little quote here. It says, When the renowned theologian St. Thomas Aquinas visited the Vatican in the 13th century A.D., Pope Innocent IV invited him to view the breathtaking treasures that had been amassed by the church. With great pride, the Pope told him, No longer can the church say, Silver and gold have we none. To this, St. Thomas Aquinas answered, Holy Father, that is very true indeed, but neither can we say to the poor and afflicted, rise and take up your bed and walk. So there was a place that had happened in that particular area of time where the church had amassed, this particular church had amassed a great amount of wealth. <clears throat> and in doing so, there was a process that had happened. Now, I'm not going to talk about finances, nor am I going to bash on those that are wealthy, because I think it's okay to be wealthy. And I'll share that with you in a moment so you can understand where I'm coming from. But there was a process that had happened from the church being a place where it could tell, tell the afflicted and those that are poor, rise up and take your bed and walk, which we saw in the early church, to where after gaining all of this, they had lost something. Well, I'm not talking about all of this that they gained. I want to know about the process. Because I'm going to show you a man in Scripture that was in a very similar position, but was not in the same position. And we'll look in, verse, in chapter, uh, Acts chapter 10. It says, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of, of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. And in the ninth day he clearly saw a vision, an angel of God coming to him, saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and alms have come to me up for memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. Just stop right there for a second. I want to read that verse again. And when the angel of the Lord who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. Was he a wealthy man? Yeah. So don't take my reading here and think that this scenario has just laid out the, 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 um, the pathway to get power with God. What that was was an excerpt in a timing of a particular church that had amassed something and they had lost something in the process. And here we see Cornelius, he had gained something in the process. He told a, a, a soldier, and he told two 
of his servants that were from among those that waited on him continually to go and find Peter. So there's a right way and a wrong way. Okay, that's just something I wanted to point out. Because I hear so many times people, you know, there's a right way and there's a wrong way, and I'm going to stop right there. That's where the Holy Spirit wants me to stop. So when he explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. So this, the next day as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray. Let me go back to verse um, 6. Did you notice that he said that the Holy Spirit, that this, this experience he had, he told him where he was, who he was staying with. He told him exactly what was going on. I think sometimes we read past that and don't really understand that God revealed that to this man. Now, you got to think, he didn't have a GPS, he didn't have a phone. They sent these people based on this word that this man got in this experience with God. So they didn't have a GPS or a phone, so they had to go find this house. It's just something to think about, that we don't think about, they didn't have the modern stuff. So if we got told that, we'd just look it up, and we, we'd know instantly whether or not that house was even there. But they didn't. They just went on what, and this man had a lot of faith in God because he just had an experience, and he says, hey, this is where this man's at, and this is the man that's going to tell me what I need to do. Since Peter went up on the housetop to pray in about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. God's a hunter for everybody that's a hunter. He told Peter to kill and eat. Okay? But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And the voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Then this was done three times, and the object was taken up to heaven again. Now, I want to just share with you something about this story that maybe you've never thought about. God was moving on Peter. Peter fell into a trance. Peter had a vision. First of all, you can't fall into a trance unless the Holy Spirit moves upon you, so you're already experiencing God. And then you get into this place where the heavens open up, and you're seeing into the Spirit. But there's something that took place that I thought was interesting about this story that can apply to us. Peter heard the voice of God three different times. And on three, or at least two of those occasions, we see it's recorded that he said, No, Lord, not so. God's speaking to him. And yet, Peter's saying, Uh-uh, Lord, that don't work that way. Now, have you ever asked yourself why that was like that? Peter come from a culture that basically taught him everything he knew about God. So he come from where Jews were considered to be the superior, and Gentiles, were, they were just Gentiles. So when God started changing things on him, the first thing he did was resist. And I wonder how many times God is trying to change things on us and we're resisting. But Peter didn't know that he was resisting 
He thought he was right. But God is revealing to him, Peter, I'm showing you something here that I'm going to do. And I want you to listen to my spirit. He actually put him in a trance, opened the heavens up. This is not just sitting down praying and hear a little small inward voice telling you something to do. This was an experience with God. He was experiencing God. That's important. Because this is not just a small thing that he's experiencing. And yet Peter is resisting the very God of the creation. Of the creation. He's resisting. But why? Why was he resisting? Culture has a lot to do with how we're made up. And whether or not you hear the voice of God against your culture is whether or not you'll be willing to hear what God is saying. It's a choice. You see, everything that God was revealing to him was something new to him. Something that he had not seen before. The Gentiles had not gotten anything about salvation. And Peter was not going to be the first guy to do it. He's like, nope, uh-uh, I don't see this. I'm not going there, Lord. And three times, not once, not twice, but three times in this vision, God spoke to him. And then God took the vision up. Now, I'm going to give you an opinion, and I'm going to state that very emphatically. This is an opinion only, okay? I believe it was probably after he took the vision up that Peter began to wake up to his own problems that he had with what was going on. Because after that vision, it says, it was taken up, says, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent but from Cornelius had made inquiry in Simon's house and stood before the gate. So when that vision left, and I'm going to share this from a personal experience. So I've had God to deal with me about things before, and I wouldn't do it, and I just wouldn't do it. It might be, it might be something that God is dealing with me about to share with someone, or it might be something that God is dealing with me about to do, but I wouldn't do it. But when the Spirit of the Lord left me, I began to realize, oh, this is a place where I've missed it. I got a chance to make it right, but I've also missed a little bit of it here. So I, that's, that's my opinion on this right here. That's, that's all that is. I've experienced a little bit of that in my own life. It's a very void feeling. When that, when that vision left him, I don't know that Peter was jumping up and down saying, Oh, my God, I've heard the voice of God. I've heard the voice of God. I think he was sitting there thinking, Wow, what have I just seen? You know? It's important to understand the process that Peter went through because I think that process is something that we are going to go through. Let me show you something. I like my hat. Y'all like my hat? Okay, so I'm going to wear my hat just for a second. We'll do a little bit of show and tell. Now, this is okay because I was raised in the same perspective that you were. How many of you were ever raised that you didn't wear your hat at the table? How many of you were ever raised that you took your hat off when you came in the house? And God forbid that you put it on in the church. Am I correct? Okay, can I say something very politely to you? It's a cultural thing. It is not right or wrong. It is neutral. It is neutral. I'll tell you the reason why. Go to Florida, everybody's got a hat. Okay, it's culture. Now, what happens is, is when 
God starts shaking up culture, people start putting labels on right and wrong. You see, some of you may be so embedded in the culture of where you came from that you're losing half of what I'm saying right now because you're seeing the hat. Okay? I'm going to take it off in a minute. I'm not going to offend you. I'm just going to give it a minute, though, because I want this point right here to settle in. Culture isn't up to you and I. It's up to God. Now, I like my hat, and I don't wear my hat a lot, but when I'm outside, and I'll tell you something, too. For those of you that got a little age on you or getting some age on you or you're getting to the point where age looks like it's coming to you, you don't have much up here, a hat is a good thing. Okay? Some of you brothers out there can say Amen. And if those of you that can't, you got a head full of hair, and that's the reason why. You can't, you don't, it don't make no difference to you. But I told a guy one day, we were standing there, and I said, I know it's raining 10 minutes before you do. He said, how is that? I said, just look up here, brother. I said, rain can hit you 10 minutes, and I said, and you won't never know it. I said, the first sprinkle hit me, and I'm going to know it. I said, there's nothing up there between me and the heavens, you know. But I want, I want to understand, this right here is a neutral thing. It's a neutral thing. But the moment I put it on, it automatically just calls things to just like, oh, my God, he's going to wear a hat in church. Okay? And then if you get around a table eating and you wear a hat, you almost can see the back of the hand coming to you to show you that you need to take it off. Correct? Come on, we're old school. We're okay. But you go in other countries, and it's not the same. It's not the same. And what I found out, I'm going to take it off because I know that's messing with somebody. What I found out when I went to South America was I was culturally conditioned to understand the gospel in a particular way and didn't really understand the gospel at all. Peter was sitting here hearing from God on the greatest move of the Holy Spirit that is ever recorded in the book of Acts concerning the Gentiles, and yet his culture was keeping him from moving forward. And it took an act of God to set him down and say, Peter, do not call what I have created unclean. It took that. Can I politely say to you that God is changing a culture and we have to begin to see what it is that God wants to change. There are some things that are neutral. It's neutral as to what color you have these chairs right here or where you have them at. It's neutral as to what color carpet we have. But do you know churches have split up because of the color of carpet? We talk about it, but it ha it's happened. It ain't just the Baptist. It's been in the... Pentecostals, Assemblies of Gods, and everything else. It's neutral. There are things that are in our lives that are neutral. And I've come to the place when I went to South America, I decided there was a lot of things that were neutral that I had to change. Because if I kept it the same, I wanted you to look like me, dress like me, be in my church like me, and don't ever deviate from that me syndrome so let me just go another place here there's no disrespect intended in what I'm wearing today okay but there's some people believe that if you come in this pulpit right here you must have on a suit and tie and I'm okay with that if that's where you want to be I'm okay I understand the intention okay I just haven't worn a suit and tie 
in a very long time. And they don't fit around my neck too good no more. And I don't mean any disrespect by that. But there's some places that I would go and preach, they wouldn't even let me in the pulpit. So where are we at on this thing? What is more important? Okay? There'll be certain occasions I understand you need to dress for. And I'm not saying that you need to be rebellious in, your, in, in, in where I'm at right here. I'm not going to take this and carry it to certain places. You have to use wisdom. You understand what I'm saying? But the other side of it is, do I have to dictate by my own culture what God is doing? I don't need to do that. Because I can tell you, you'll be like Peter. God will speak three times. And did you notice on the third time who withdrew the vision? Then he left it up to Peter. And Peter had to make a choice. He had to say, Lord, what is this thing right here? And then all of a sudden, God sends some people to him. These people are Gentiles. They don't have the gospel. And Peter has been sent to go carry this thing to them. It is that recorded event that is in history of our Bibles that generated the gospel, and it's the reason why you sit here today. It's because Peter listened to what God had to say. Now, you may say, well, what if Peter didn't listen? I think God would have picked someone else. But what, a, what, what kind of testimony would that have been? And what would have happened? I don't know. I can't write history. I can only tell you that Peter decided to take and put his culture aside. And when we look at this thing, he says here in verse um, 44 of that same chapter, it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, he was preaching to them. He was telling them, oh, I, I, I got to go back and share this right here. In verse 24, this is good. So, it says, in the following day after they had lodged there, and it was, a, it was basically illegal for, for Peter to lodge in this man's home. Okay? So not only did Peter get a change of heart, but he had to really step out. Now, he lodged with this man, and it says, the following day they entered Caesarea, and now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Cornelius was all Peter could see was this vision he had, what he could not see was the move of the Holy Ghost that God was preparing over here. Cornelius in his whole household, his relatives and his friends were all waiting for Peter to get there. The one thing that I found out, and I knew this when I left, <clears throat> when I left to South America, y'all laughed at me before I left, I remembered that too. Y'all remember, it come from way over here somewhere or another. Anyway, because I said I didn't want to travel out of the United States. I'll just clear that up a little bit. <clears throat> but when I left, the one thing I said to David, I even said to uh, Doug, a friend of mine, I said, this is like, I'm used to being able to sense and see beyond where I'm at, okay? It's just something that happens on the inside of me. But... When it come down to that trip, it was just like there was a hand standing in front of me. And I couldn't sense, see, feel, understand anything about that trip. I was excited to go, and it was my first, and I was really hoping it would be a, a transformation. But I couldn't see it, man. I just, it was just there. It's like a hand there. And it was like the Holy Spirit saying to me, this ain't for you to see right now. <laughs> 
I said, okay. Well, when I got there, it changed everything about me. Because suddenly I saw a group of people that I couldn't communicate with, but they were just like me. I couldn't spend my money or their money because I didn't know what it was. I was so helpless. I was so helpless, and yet I carried something that was for them. I was carrying something, and I knew that. I knew I was carrying something. And the only way I could get it to them was through the interpreter that had been assigned to us. And in this particular case, he was a type of the Holy Spirit for me. And God began to share with me some things that I had never really focused on. He says, you can't do it on your own. All your talents doesn't make any difference. You have to have a communication tool. My Holy Spirit's the communication tool. This, this gentleman was, man, he changed my life. He was, he, was so, he was so humble, yet so educated. He was, he was educated by some of the best schools in the world, but his humility would just absolutely melt you. He was so honored just to stand beside you and speak whatever you had to say. It was, it was amazing. He thought that we were on such a pedestal. And I looked at him one day. I said, you're just like me. I need you. I cannot do it without you. And before we left, he came to me and told me, he said, you guys are the first ones that's ever treated me like I was an equal with you. He said, and I appreciate that. He got it. But it was so amazing. I want to tell you just a little bit about this gentleman. It'll, it'll tie in in a minute. <clears throat> when he received Jesus as Lord, he come from a family of great wealth. And when he received Jesus as Lord because of the type of faith they had, they ostracized him. He walked into a life of poverty for the gospel. And had not seen his mother or his dad for over 10 years. And he was not welcome to go back in the home. And he was, not, he was not driving a nice car. In fact, there were times, there were times I didn't know if the car was going to get us where we were going. I thought it was a diesel. I come to find out it was a gas. And the clanging I heard was a motor mount that was broke. That's how bad it was. I was like, oh my God. But he was so humbled. Before I left, I found out Something had happened in his family. I think his dad had passed away or something, and he was going back to his home because he was welcome. That was a major miracle for that man. But he gave up everything, everything, so he could share the gospel. One little story about this guy. He, um, there was this little town, <clears throat> and there was a um, volcano. They were on the side of the volcano. The volcano erupted. And I think there was like 25,000 people in this little town up there. Or maybe, I don't know, it was 2,500 or 25,000. I can't remember which one. But almost all of them were wiped out. They had no way. You see, here in America, you pick up a cell phone and you dial. You get help. Here in America, you call the National Guard. Here in America, you get someone from the government to come to your rescue. Over there, no. Nobody's coming to you. Nobody. He felt the need so much that he packed everything he had in his little car, him and his wife, and went and lived up there for a year to help these people, and they had absolutely nothing when they went. They went and lived among the, the mess that had happened. 
that's amazing. I mean, why am I saying that? He had defeated culture for the voice of God. He had defeated culture for the voice of God. I had to learn this on a personal level for myself. When my kids were coming up, okay, I didn't always consent or agree to everybody that was around. I just didn't. I'm sorry. I'm practicing here. They won't may not say it publicly, but they, may, they will tell you privately, yes. Some of them will say it publicly. There were times I just didn't. There were times when people come around and before any of my children got a tattoo and they had some tattoos, some drawings on their arm. Man, I had a problem with that. I'm just going to be honest with you, okay? But you know what I found out? When it comes down to Jesus Christ, it's a neutral, it's a neutral event. Okay? Am I telling you it's right to go out and get a tattoo? No. Am I telling you it's wrong? No, I'm not. It may not be allowed in your household, and in my household, you were 18 and you paid for it before I ever, you know, would accept that. You, nobody's, my money's not going to that, okay? I took my stand, and that's where I was. And then the first one came home, and he had something on his arm. What are you going to do? It's a culture thing. Maybe that's hard for you to understand. Maybe you might say, well, you should have stood a little taller on that. That's fine. When they get 18, the government says, we can take you out of your mom and dad's house. You can choose to go to another country. We'll put a bullet in somebody's head and call it legal, and then I'm going to stand there and tell an 18-year-old what he's going to do and what he's not going to do. Maybe you may look at that and say, well, that's completely wrong. He's in your household. I'd like to keep him in my household. I can influence him more in my household than I can outside my household. Now, I may be meddling right now. I'm okay right now where I'm at because I've done went through this right here, Okay. But I'll tell you something, that gentleman, my oldest, Caleb, is a fine young man. My Brandon is a fine young man. They're, those boys are as good as they could possibly be. And I'm not one single bit ashamed of the fact that they wear a tattoo. It was their choice. I had to let them make that choice. It was a culture thing. It was not in my culture but it was in theirs. And I found out tattoos don't make or break someone's salvation. Now, am I saying that? I'm not saying for you to go out and get one. I'm not even going to put that on the plate. Okay? It's just, it was a culture. It's, it's neither right or wrong. It may be wrong in your house. And you might need to tread carefully before you go there. Okay? Because you need a place to stay. And for some people, that might be the, be the drawing line right there. Why am I talking about culture? The greatest move of God that ever happened to the Gentiles was through Peter that day. I think God can change culture. And I think God can do it at his will. I think God can influence cultures. And don't let the tattoo thing just rack your mind, okay? If you're okay with it, that's fine. If you're not okay with it, I'm okay with that. 
I'm not trying to tell you that's right or wrong. It's, it's not about that. It's not about that. My point here is just right here. Man, I got to go there. So let me ask you a question in regards to the tattoo situation. Because I had to deal with this, and it's a personal thing for me. So if the guy walks up to you, oh, Lord. Let's say he walks in your house holding your daughter's hand, and he's marked up. Where are you at? Are you going to automatically discount everything about him as a person because of what you see? Because that's easy to do when you're wrapped up in your culture. It's easy to do when you see someone walk in here and they don't look like you. And they don't act like you. Because I'm telling you, I'm trying to tell you something here that God does not favor, have a favorite culture. <clears throat> His salvation will reach the lowest and the highest. Those that are poor and those that are rich. Where are you at? Will you judge a man because of what he wears and what he doesn't wear or what a girl wears or what she does not wear? Or will you take and open your arms up and allow the love of Jesus to come and flow through you so it can change a life? You may say, well, yes, I can do that, but does that really mean that you will do that? Will you really open up your door and say to the person that doesn't look like you and maybe he's been marked up, maybe he had a life before he got here and now he wants to change, but somehow another... He has a stigmatism attached to him. And it's okay as long as he doesn't talk to your kids. And it's okay as long as he doesn't talk to your daughter. That's okay. He can sit in the back of the church and everything is fine. But is that where Jesus is at? I'm sorry I have to go here today. I'm sorry I'm, I'm in the middle of this thing now. But I'll tell you something right now. More, more people have been turned away from churches because of that attitude than they ever been have, have ever flooded a church. You know what happens when a move of God happens? All of a sudden, everybody out of everywhere, out of every corner of the earth, begins to come in and get moved upon by the Holy Ghost. Just like it was in the book of Acts. Suddenly, the Corneliuses of the world begin to receive something. They weren't like the Jews. They didn't grow up like the Jews. They didn't have the same things and the teachings that the Jews have. Are we the Jews or are we walking with God? Come on. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Because it's coming. There's people that are going to come. They're not going to sound like you. Some of them don't know what a curse word is. Because for them, it was a and thou and thee, and the other words were interchangeable. You may say, oh my goodness. I met a few of those guys and girls. I'll tell a little story. This is funny. So my real dad come from a construction background. He's passed away now, so I'll share this story. It was one of the funniest things I'd ever seen in my life. Um, my real dad come from a, a background where it's construction. In construction, the language changes. Let's just say that. <clears throat> it really does. The language changes. Um, and he knew, he knew the language of the construction industry. <clears throat> and so it was the only time that I ever went fishing with my real dad, and David was with me. 
And David was, was out here at the church, the associate pastor, you know. And we just got on a boat, man, and we were going down the river. And my, my dad, man, he just had some, he had some words to replace the A's and the D's and stuff like that. He had some other words there. And, and he asked David, he says, what do you do for a living? And David kind of dodged the bullet a little bit. You know, he got to talking about something else. And 15 minutes went by, and we were all sitting there fishing. And next thing you know, he says again, he says, what do you do for a living? And David got to talking about something else. And about the third time, he said, well, you never did tell me what you did for a living. <laughs> and finally, David says, uh, I'm the associate pastor out at Mike's church. Just kind of like that. And my dad never cursed another single moment on that trip. <laughs> it was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen in my life. I could not believe what had just happened because all my life I had heard him, even from a little boy, I remember that was a mark in my dad's life. It really was. And, and people would say something to him and he just would, yeah, it would just continue on. I mean, he was just embedded in him. But the moment he said, I'm the associate pastor out at my church, the guy just completely like wiped the slate clean. I thought, oh my God, you've learned a different language. <laughs> that was funny to me, though. I won't ever forget that moment, though. And, that, and that's, that's, the, that's the power of the gospel, you know? And David was trying not to put him on the spot. But after a while, God just kind of worked it out. And it, and it was just funny, you know, the way it worked. But I want to I share with you just, just to think about what God can do if we don't have this regimented way of looking at things. Does anybody know um, Todd White? Okay. And then the guy from, uh, was it Todd Bentley? Yeah. Anybody ever seen those guys? I mean, like you've seen them like you're on a video and everything. You understand what I'm saying? Well, Todd White is such a rich young man just to watch him move in the love of Jesus. And, and I mean, do you know that there's a lot of churches that they couldn't handle that? Because this guy walks in and he's got dreadlocks, you know? And I'm saying, I'm not saying go get you some dreadlocks. I wish I could have some. Come on. With my hair like it is, I'd take anything. Somebody else's hair is okay with me. But anyway... <clears throat> But what I'm saying is, understanding that the power of the gospel will move through whoever will take it. Now, this is the thing. You may like your church. And you may like the way it looks and the way it acts and the people that are in it. But if you don't get people born again, you've missed the mark. You've missed the mark. And I'll tell you the reason why. The only thing that carried Jesus to the cross was our sin. So Jesus died for everyone's sin. And then he made you an ambassador. And ambassadors go to different cultures. They represent the United States, but they go to different cultures. We have an ambassador for this country. We have an ambassador to that country. But they, they just kind of just, they go to these countries and they represent who we are. I, I tell you, I don't want the culture to put a stamp on me. I want to put a stamp on the culture. That's what I want to do. 
I want to put a stamp on the culture. Cornelius and his household got saved because Peter chose not to stay in the culture. And the greatest move of God that we can see in recorded history for the Gentiles was because one man heard the voice of God after three times, which shows me how powerful his culture was. He was in an experience with God. He was in an experience with God in a trance, seeing a vision. I'm, I'm stressing that because I want you to understand you're in an experience with God and God is changing the culture, but can you see it? Can you understand it? Can you receive it for what God is wanting? What if a Todd White guy walked in here? Wow. I'd love to hear him. I'd love to hear Todd White. I've, I've watched him on video enough, and I'd love to hear him, man. And everybody, you know, what's the guy that, uh, that was like his pastor? Some, what's his name? Dan Moeller. I like Dan Moeller. Now, Dan Moeller fits my, my little book a little bit better. You know, he's cleaned up, and he wears regular jeans and stuff, you know, and he don't have all this stuff going on. But you know what it took for Dan Moeller to influence a Todd White? He broke the culture. That's what he did. And you know what? He didn't try to tell Todd, this is what you got to do. You got to get rid of this, and you got to get rid of that. He just let Todd, let God work on Todd. And now look what Todd is doing for the body of Christ and the people he's reaching. You see, there's some people out there that need to be reached. And we might be Dan Mullers, okay? Maybe when you look at us, I mean, I, I keep a clean cut all the time. It's one of the things that mark me as a person, and I don't mind telling you that. I, I can't stand it. I got a weekly appointment. It's just that way, okay? I don't like for my stuff to be out. I don't like for my hair to be uneven. That's just something that just me, that's me, all right? If I pass away, um, more than likely you're not going to have to worry about my hair, okay? Because I'm going to already have it cut, okay? Something happens that I don't have it cut because I've been traveling somewhere and I haven't been able to do it. But that's just me. Everybody's got their own thing, okay? But I don't say that's what everybody else got to do. Sometimes I wish they would. (laughs) Come on. I wish some people wouldn't do some things, but it's neutral. It's like money. Money's neutral. Put it in the hand of a builder, and he'll do something with it. Put it in the hand of a thief, and they'll do something with it. A brick is the same way. It's a neutral item. I want you to start identifying things that you don't have to be so tied up with and be neutral in what you're doing. Okay? Just be neutral. Y'all, we're going to get out of here early today. I already know that. I'm not going to keep you to 12. Okay? Is that good? We're going to break a little tradition. I know people think it's got to have happen at 12. You've got to go to 12. But if I do that, man, I'm going to lose you really bad. And I'm just going to, I'm going to end up keeping the tradition. And when it's over with, you're going to like, whoa, I sure wish you would have quit a long time ago. <laughs> okay, so I want to get you to stand with me, all right? So I know this is, this is weird right here. We're getting out a lot earlier than we, we normally do. But does that make sense? Does that help anybody today? Okay. I mean, I think you're going to have to break your culture in order for things to happen, for God to do something, because you've been in this thing a long time, like myself, and I had to break my culture, you know, when uh, 
when my son come home and he had on a shirt that went all the way down to here and then suddenly it just rose up a little bit and, you know, and he was honest and told me and I said, okay. I, hey, everything in me wanted to, to go a different way. But I, I withheld it. And I appreciate my son so much. I really do. Those guys have taught me so much about life. Um, man, I wish I'd have had a manual. I tried to get one and nobody writing one that I could understand. Everybody had one, but it didn't work. You know? Everybody told me, you got to do this, you got to do that. And, I, man, I'm like, man, you don't understand. This ain't working. So let me pray, okay? Father, I thank you, Lord, for the word of God. I thank you, Lord, for the timing of what you're saying into our hearts, God. Lord, just as Peter stood on the very brink of a move of God and could not see what was across the line for him, I feel like, God, we're standing on the brink, God, of seeing you move and move in our community. And I pray, God, I pray, God, that we would break away from our culture and receive the word of the Lord. Whatever it is you want to do, God, we want to see it. We want to be a part of it, God. We want to move in the, in the dimension of God and move in the dimension of the Spirit, Lord. And, Lord, maybe we're not Todd Whites, and maybe, maybe Lord, we probably fit the, prote the protege of, of, of the Dan Molers. But that's okay, God. Teach us, Lord. Teach us, God, how to walk across and begin to release the power of God into people's lives. Teach us, Lord, how to do it without any partiality, God. Teach us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.